You ready? 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 One, two, three, four! Anyway, with the friends. 
Warning, the following podcast features views and opinions that are not representative of the collective views of the Whispers groups. Some of these views may not be suitable for children. Accordingly, the producers and hosts of the Missy AE podcast must insist that no one attempt to take anything that is being said as representative of the views of any of the Whispers groups. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Missy AE podcast. Tonight, we bring to you Sports Whispers Weekly, where we talk nothing but sports for the next three hours. Uh, I am your host, Steve Kent. I uh, I will be joined by Lou uh, at some point tonight. He did call me and te- or he texted me uh, earlier this week and said that he would be. Uh, he wouldn't be here on time uh, for the start of the show. So uh, we will hear from him a little later on tonight. Uh, A reminder to anybody who has listened to our show. uh, If you are a fan of big brother, we did just have the celebrity big brother recap show this past Thursday night, and we will also have our next edition of the show this upcoming Thursday night, where we will discuss the most recent evictee, as well as who will be evicted, because I I believe the next eviction is Monday night. So uh, this, this upcoming Thursday on the Celebrity Big Brother recap show, uh, Melissa and I will discuss everything that is going on inside the Celebrity Big Brother house as of this upcoming week. And we do still have two athletes remaining in the Big Brother house as Mirai has all, uh, the, uh, Olympic, the Olympic uh, bronze medalist from the United States. Uh, she was eliminated last week. However, we do still have Lamar Odom, NBA champion Lamar Odom, in the uh, running, as well as former UFC bantam women's bantamweight champion Misha Tate, still in the running as well for the two hundred fifty thousand dollar grand prize. So, uh, anyways, if you want to call in tonight and talk some sports. The number is 657-383-1308. Like I said, we will be live for the next two hours before we go into the one-hour after show. And as far as what we have on the agenda for tonight, we have hell. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that we're going to we're going to dive into. The uh, NBA trade deadline, obviously has come and gone and let's let's just say this was probably one of the more active trade deadlines in recent memory. Uh a lot a lot of big moves were made. Uh we also have super the the Super Bowl to talk about uh between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams tomorrow night. Uh which I believe that starts at six, but I believe coverage either starts at Three Eastern, or maybe it's noon Eastern. I know one of the Super Bowls, uh, they started coverage at noon Eastern because they had all of those, they had all all of these uh, different different attractions. Uh, I don't know, but 
6 or 6.30 uh, Eastern time is my understanding for the start of the Super Bowl this year. Uh, we also have most more coach hirings that we will talk about. Uh, the NFL Awards took place this week, as well as uh, the newest inductees to the NFL Hall of Fame. Uh, we will go through those, uh, as well as an update on the lockout in Major League Baseball. And Deflategate is back in the news. And just when you thought, just when you thought that uh, Tom Brady couldn't, uh, you, you know, c- couldn't go an- another week without without coming up in the in the headlines, uh, there is. Some sort, some sort of uh, update on Deflategate. I don't know what kind of update there could there could possibly be for a story that's hell five years old, maybe more. Uh, but yeah, we will discuss uh, all of that and more. Uh, first off, though, I think I want to talk a little bit about the state of the WWE because. We have Elimination Chamber coming up, and this one is set to take place in Jeddah, out in basically uh, out in Saudi Arabia, or as internet wrestling fans like to call it, the Blood Money event, because of the ten-year partnership that uh, WWE has formed with the uh, Saudi Arabian government to hold a a show there every single year. Uh, this one, though, is set to take place on February – well, actually, next, uh, next Saturday. Uh, it'll be taking place next Saturday – I don't know what time. It may, be, uh, it may be done by the time we even go on the air next Saturday. Uh, but we do have seven matches currently scheduled for the Elimination Chamber. Uh, obviously, the Elimination Chamber match itself, uh, which will be for the WWE Championship. Uh, we also have, actually, I think, we have four championships currently on the line uh, from my count, if my count here is right. Yeah, four championships on the line uh, with a qualifier uh, elimination chamber match, which will determine who will who will face off for a championship at WrestleMania 38. Uh, we have let's just get let's just get into the into the match lineup right now as it stands. Uh, first, we have Ronda Rousey, the women's Royal Rumble winner this year, uh, teaming up with Naomi to take on Charlotte Flair and Sonya Deville in a tag team match. You know what? Actually, uh, this is very interesting because we have three women's matches on this card. And in previous years, usually they kind of resisted putting women on the cards because of the fact that, you know, they have uh, – the Saudi Arabians, uh, they have a – in regards to their culture and whatnot, uh, they want women to stay covered and everything. So 
which WWE, you know, has abided by, but uh, at least uh, when they first started off that partnership with Saudi Arabia, uh, they hesitated to put on women's matches. So uh, it's it's good to see that you know they're starting to they're starting to really open up a bit more uh, when it comes to involving. Uh, women's wrestlers on the card every time they go to Saudi Arabia and this one is no different we have three uh, women's matches uh, first off with Ronda Rousey and Naomi against Charlotte Flair and Sonya Deville uh, once again this is more of the anti-authority storyline story mixing, mixing in obviously with the big matchup at Wrestlemania that's set to take place between Ronda Rousey and Charlotte Flair for the SmackDown women's title. Uh, And Rousey, you know, she's always been somebody who's been anti-authority even back in her time with the UFC. So it makes sense for her to team up with Naomi and Charlotte has always been uh, for authority, basically. So it, it's it's the perfect way of combining a big, uh, you know, a big feud, where, two big feuds, technically, together. As Sonya Deville and Naomi, you know, they've been having their own storyline uh, going on for at least a couple of months now. And, and their most recent one was at the Royal Rumble when... Uh, I believe Sonya was was uh, eliminated by Naomi, and then Charlotte eliminated Naomi. I think I don't know. I forget exactly, but uh, this is pretty much the way for them to kick off uh, the women's portion. And I would kind of expect that we would probably see uh, Ronda Rousey and Naomi take this first match up here. Uh, Considering the fact that Ronda is such a big star that, you know, normally they want to try and uh, ride as much positive momentum uh, for for her leading into each and every one of her matches that she's had. Then again, though, you know, uh, maybe there is a way for her to look strong in this match without necessarily eating the pinfall so maybe they still could lose but with Naomi uh, picking up the loss instead of Ronda being the one Uh, but I would assume you know this is one that has literally just materialized uh, this past actually last night I believe is when it was officially announced so I would assume that the safe bet would be to have Ronda Rousey and Naomi pick up the win here, but I would not be shocked if they do somehow lose with Naomi eating the pinfall. Uh, We also have the Elimination Chamber match for the Raw Women's Championship, Uh, or not exactly, not, not for the Women's Championship, but it's to determine who will who will face off for the Raw Women's Championship at WrestleMania. Uh, we got Liv Morgan set to take on Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair, Dewdrop. I, I still think that's such a fucking stupid name for somebody 
who was as popular overseas like Piper Niven was, uh, for her to be renamed as Dewdrop because of a, of a woman who isn't even with the company anymore. Uh, and we also have Nikki A.S.H., almost a superhero, basically the smaller version of Mighty Molly, essentially, for, for, pe- for people who may not know who Nikki A.S.H. is. Uh, she's formerly known as Nikki Cross. Uh, and we also have one competitor that is yet to be named. I assume that will probably be determined this upcoming Monday night. Uh, you know, this, this one is really hard to call because I mean, there's, I can, I can name a couple, uh, really the only one that I don't really see having a spot at WrestleMania would be Nikki A.S.H. I mean, I could see Liv Morgan because of how, of, of how in her last title opportunity, uh, she they made it look like she came really really close, only for her to then lose right at the very end. Uh, Rhea Ripley, she's a former a former women's champion, so I could see her potentially uh, picking up the win. Bianca Belair, she's a former women's champion. Uh, Dewdrop, you know, Dewdrop could always pick back up that feud with Becky Lynch, especially if Becky retains later on in the night. So Dewdrop could be a distinct possibility. Uh, Nikki, I just don't. I I only see her being given the women's title reign that she had, the short one that she had previously, because Vince was basically backed into a corner. Um, and it also depends too on who that final. A woman is added to this match that maybe perhaps it could change the uh, you know it could change who I think could potentially take it but uh, I'm fascinated the fact that it's uh, it's going to be in an elimination chamber match because granted they have changed up the elimination chamber a little bit but the elimination chamber I always remember was the 10 tons of solid steel uh, designed to punish the human body as Eric Bischoff originally introduced it in 2002 for the Survivor Series. Uh, You know, it's known to be one of the more grueling matches on the human body, uh, sort of like Hell in a Cell a little bit. Uh, But this time it's with a shit ton more steel. Um, you know, it's it's definitely no, normally they say that uh, kind of like how they used to do Hell in a Cell that whoever entered the Hell in a Cell, uh, you know, they they were never the same again. Basically, I mean, they how you know Hell in a Cell was uh, the match that. Uh, retired Tim White. So Tim White, of course, being a former WWE referee, uh, with you know with that with Hell in a Cell being so gruesome, 
elimination chamber is supposed to be that times 10. But, you know, now you add the women in there and... I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they to see what this crop of women in this matchup can do. Uh, normally, you know, you see uh, quite a few quite a few different spots in a uh, in a Helen or not Helen Cell in an elimination chamber match. So, uh, I think it, I think it'll be very intriguing to watch uh, for WWE fans in this matchup. Uh, the next match, we have Drew McIntyre taking on Madcap Moss in a Falls Count Anywhere match with Baron Corbin, or Happy Corbin, as they call him. Uh, that, obviously, from from a perspective here, puts the advantage towards Happy Corbin and Madcap Moss, considering the fact that it's it'll basically be two against one in a Falls Count Anywhere match. However... We all know how WWE likes to do uh, likes to do their certain matches. I would expect Drew McIntyre would win this one because, let's face it, if, if we're talking about star power, Drew McIntyre is on a completely different level than Madcap Moss, or as he's also known as Riddick Moss. Uh, I would expect. You know, I just I can't really take this match seriously, to be brutally honest with you, because Madcap Moss is nowhere near the same level that Drew McIntyre is when it comes to star power, and we all know how Vince loves his big men. So I would assume that McIntyre is going to pick up the win here. It's it, it honestly, it isn't really much of a question in my mind. I would be very shocked if they give Madcap Moss the victory, and it would be a big victory over over a name like Drew McIntyre, especially on a pay per view. Uh, next matchup, we have the longest reigning Universal Champion uh, in WWE history, Roman Reigns. Defending his championship against Goldberg, who is returning for the 500th time at the very prime age of 55. You know, Bill Goldberg is basically the new Undertaker, where he only wrestles twice every year, or pretty soon it'll be once every year. You know, it it was different back in 2016, you know, when he came back and upset Brock Lesnar. It was was a different feeling back then. I mean, at some point, enough is enough. Does anybody really think... That Bill Goldberg is going to take this uh, is going to take this uh, this match here. I mean, it, to me, it just seems like a really easy a really easy matchup to put together for Roman Reigns, uh, so that he can advance to WrestleMania to have the champion versus champion match against Brock Lesnar 
oops, I think I may have uh, said a spoiler here. Yeah, it's I. Uh, let me just say, if I were a betting man, I wouldn't bet on Goldberg to be given the win here, especially with it being the last the last match on his contract. Now, if he were to be extended, basically, if he picks up a victory here, if he picks up the victory and wins the universal title, obviously that means his contract has been extended by, by the WWE. But I do think it would be a, it would be kind of a mistake by the WWE to have Goldberg take the title here because we saw what happened when he did it against the Fiend, uh, against the Fiend Bray Wyatt. When he took the title off of Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt basically, (laughs) he completely declined pretty much after that to the point of where his last match in WWE was a loss at WrestleMania to, I believe it was Randy Orton that beat him at WrestleMania. And then Bray Wyatt was never heard from again in the WWE. So, I mean, Goldberg, yeah, you know, it's it's different when he was in the WWE Back in like 2003, 2004, you know, he was still in the in prime shape, uh, coming off of the WCW run that he had, and even back in 2016, you know, I enjoyed him being back in 2016, and you know, having that rematch against Brock Lesnar, that uh, that. Uh, picking up that feud where that feud left off uh, from WrestleMania 20, picking that feud back up years later uh, in 2016. You know, I I enjoyed it that uh, back then. Then you have, then you have him come in and basically derail the momentum that Bray Wyatt was having as the fiend, it just, it leaves a sour taste in your mouth. And I mean, I know he's a legend, but, you know, realistically, could anybody realistically see a 55-year-old Goldberg beating Roman Reigns, who is probably going to have the Usos in his corner, or at the very least, he'll have Paul Heyman in this corner. Does anybody realistically think that Roman Reigns can lose to Bill Goldberg in this match? In my opinion, I just don't see it happening. I would be absolutely – that would probably be the biggest shocker for me out of, out of any of the potential possibilities on this card. That would be the biggest shocker to me. So I would expect, especially considering the fact that Goldberg can't really do any uh, any long matches now because of his uh, because of his conditioning, 
uh, his issues with conditioning that even, even back in 2016, you know, he was limited to kind of short matches. I would expect that Roman Reigns probably deals with Goldberg pretty quickly. Uh, speaking of the Usos, they will be defending their tag team titles uh, for SmackDown against the Viking Raiders. Viking Raiders haven't really done anything, so maybe WWE could take the titles off of the Usos to make the Viking Raiders relevant again. But I do not see the Usos losing those titles uh, unless it's to mark the the start of the downfall of the bloodline uh, stable. Otherwise, I would expect that Roman Reigns, uh, that Roman Reigns' cousins hang on to their titles here. Uh, Then we have Becky Lynch against Lita for the Raw women's title. One of two ways this could go, Becky Lynch ends up retaining and she then faces off against whoever wins the Elimination Chamber. But another possibility we could see, there have been rumblings that Lita supposedly is going to have one final run in the WWE. So could they potentially put the title on Lita here? even though it'll be her first match in God knows how long. Uh, she, she, I don't even know when her last match was, but, uh, you know, it's, I guess maybe it could be, it could be possible that perhaps, uh, you know, we could see maybe a short title run by Lita. It all, it really all depends on how long this, uh, this final run by, uh, by Lita is going to, is going to end up being, I mean, she's looked good, you know, uh, since returning, even she even looked good in the Royal Rumble. You know, normally when, Normally, when when you see wrestlers come back after a long time away, normally there's rust. You know, potentially there might be rust, but haven't really seen that with Lita. So, you know, perhaps maybe I, I would assume though that with, with Becky Lynch being big time Bex. I think the first option is more likely that we're going to see Becky Lynch retain, and then maybe perhaps she goes on to face off against Dewdrop. I would assume that they're going to want, unless Becky Lynch ends up losing the title uh, at WrestleMania, I would assume that they're going to want some sort of star-making match, uh, some sort of star-making opponent. For uh, for Becky Lynch and right now I only see two options out of that elimination chamber match. That's Liv Morgan and Dewdrop. The three other the three other competitors Rhea Ripley, Bianca Belair, and Nikki Ash. They've already been women's champion. Liv Morgan hasn't been women's champion. 
and neither has Dewdrop. And actually, I believe I do have somebody calling in who may have quite the opinion on this. Uh, Evan, is that you? Alexis, yeah. Or I mean, Alexa, Alexis. I'm I'm sorry. Uh, well, I've been I've been discussing uh, the Elimination Chamber pay per view that's set to take place uh, next Saturday night, and I want right. to get your thoughts on this because you know we have Becky Lynch defending the Raw Women's Title against Lita. There's been rumors that Lita may potentially have quote-unquote, one final run with the WWE. So the question is, is there, you know, is a title run involved with that final run, or is it mainly spent, uh, you know, putting putting uh, younger stars over? I mean, what, what, are, your, what are your thoughts, uh, Alexis, on uh, – the return of Lita, you know, could we realistically see her take the title off of Becky Lynch next Saturday? The way WWE's been going, I would say no. Because they always seem to bring these people back just to put over the younger talents. Which, I mean, that's not, you know, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. It's like, I would love for her to have one last run with, actually, with the title. I just think it's like they put her in the championship because they didn't have anybody else they felt like putting up against Becky Lynch at a Lumpson Chamber. Well, because you would would think uh, as well that they want to save... Uh, whoever they were planning to put up against Becky Lynch, you, w- you would think they would want to save that maybe for WrestleMania because right. you know, WrestleMania, WrestleMania is usually about making stars. Uh, you know, usually there's two pay-per-views that make stars. It's either WrestleMania right. or SummerSlam. And you have right. that defining you have that defining match basically uh, to officially make somebody a star. Now, with the elimination chamber match for earlier in the night, which will be uh, for the raw uh, the opportunity to face off for the raw women's title uh, at WrestleMania 38. There's only two people mm-hmm. I see in that match that could that would qualify as potential stars in the making because the other three involved are stars already. Uh, Liv Morgan, Liv Morgan or Dewdrop, both who have a history, a recent history with Becky Lynch. Right. I, I would love for it to be Liv Morgan. It's like, it always seems like they throw her to the side. They never seem to actually give her legitimate Yeah, and a lot of people, uh, there's been a lot of support behind Liv Morgan uh, ever since she went on a solo, ever since she got split up uh, from, who was she with? Was she with Sonya Deville? 
or was she with? Uh, no, she was with Sarah Logan. She was with Sarah Logan and Ruby uh, Ruby Riot. Yeah. So, you know, ever since she got split from the two of them, and she's gone on her solo career, it's it seems like she's always been given like these. Especially more recently, she's been given uh, these opportunities to compete mm-hmm. for the women's title, and just when it looks like she's about to get it, potentially, it gets taken out from underneath her, essentially. So, right. you know, it kind of makes you wonder, could this perhaps maybe Liv Morgan wins the Elimination Chamber and then she finally gets the win over Becky Lynch because you you got to think with the way they're building this up right now that Becky Lynch is going to ultimately right. lose at WrestleMania. Right. And like the way WWE likes to do stuff is in batches of three. And we've only had Liv Morgan versus Becky Lynch twice for their feud. What about Dewdrop? How many how many times has she faced Dewdrop? Becky and Dewdrop only faced each other once. Now is that Royal Rumble? Well, then it could be potentially Dewdrop again. Mm-hmm. But re- you know, realistically, those are the only two options. But especially yeah. if they want to make, if 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 they're going to continue to do the whole making of a mm-hmm. star at WrestleMania right. every year. Honestly, Dewdrop and uh you know, do Dewdrop and Liv Morgan are the only two options I see in the right. elimination chamber match. Because I mean the Royal you know, you look at the Royal Rumble winners, uh Ronda Rousey, she's already a star. And you know, Brock Lesnar, I mean, come on. That's mm-hmm. Brock Lesnar didn't yeah. even need to win the Royal Rumble in order to no. you know, get a title match. He could have had a title match without no. winning the Royal Rumble. Oh yeah. But uh, you know, obviously, you know Shane McMahon got fired over the men's Royal Rumble match because mm-hmm. of uh, because of how it how it kept getting changed, you know that originally Riddle was supposed to win the Royal Rumble. Oh, I would have loved that. Riddle was I, I supposed loved... to win the Royal Rumble, <laughs> and right. it would have you. We, supposedly, the plan was we would have seen Randy Orton compete in the Elimination Chamber match. He would have won mm-hmm. the Elimination Chamber. And would have faced off against Riddle in the main event at WrestleMania. And basically that would be that would be the the whole culmination of their partnership uh as RK Bro, essentially. Right. Where Riddle where Riddle would win the title off of Randy Orton, which I don't know. I don't know why Shane didn't think that was a good idea, but I mean, hell, Shane's been fired though now because of all that, uh, because of the multiple changes that were made uh, the day of right. the Royal Rumble. 
And, you know, I got to ask you, uh, before, because before you called in, I was talking about this. Uh, when I said realistically, you know, speaking of realistically, do you think there's even it, – it would even be realistic to have Goldberg defeat Roman Reigns? Oh, I, I, I messaged uh, this with uh, my, my former AGM, I should say. I don't see Reigns losing the title anytime soon. I don't even see Lesnar taking it from him at WrestleMania. No, not even in the champion versus no. champion match. You don't see. Uh... No, I, I I don't see it. So you're expecting that if there is going to be, and this brings up the possibility too that you know, right. if it is champion versus champion you know, we're going to see a unification likely take place here. Basically, what you're right. saying is you think you think Roman Reigns is going to be the guy, basically. Oh, yeah. At the end of it WWE's all. Been, WWE's been trying to make him the guy for the past, what, how many years? Yeah, but the difference this time is it's actually working. He has an right. actual gimmick that people love. Right right now exactly kind of why I don't see them taking the the title off of them it's working it hasn't seemed to have gone stale just yet even though he's held the title for the only thing I'm surprised at so far is the fact that they haven't somehow included Naomi into that stable. Right. You would think with her being married to one of the Usos and with her having problems with authority, like uh, the problems she's having with Tony Deville, you would think mm-hmm. that would make that would make her basically a shoe in to be changed into you know her her that her gimmick would basically be changed to have her be right. included in the bloodline uh in the bloodline stable right but anyway anyways though the uh you know the final match of the night is probably going to be the men's elimination chamber for the WWE title uh Bobby oh, Lashley yeah. he defends he defends against Brock Lesnar Seth Free I don't understand why they why their why the official name for Seth Rollins is now Seth freaking Rollins instead of Seth Rollins. I mean, like that's like that's supposed to be a difference maker for people, apparently. Um but anyways, it's it's Bobby Lashley defending his title against Brock Lesnar, Seth freaking Rollins. Uh, Austin Theory, Riddle, and AJ Styles. And it's glad to see that AJ, uh, after that that one-and-done match against Almos, it's it's glad to see that AJ Styles is at least back, somewhat back in the title picture. Uh, but right, you got to think if there's going to be a winner here, it's gonna it's got to be either Bobby Lashley or Brock Lesnar. Right. Unless 
with how they ended things at the Royal Rumble, could we potentially see Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns in a champion versus champion match? Because Roman Reigns still hasn't beaten Seth Rollins one-on-one. Right. But at the same time, Lesnar won the Rumble and is basically guaranteed the championship match at WrestleMania. So does that mean that you know, Lesnar's not going to win the elimination. Because, you know, I would almost think that it would basically cheapen the Royal Rumble if Mm -hmm. Lesnar, you know, Lesnar's already getting a match already. Uh, He's scheduled to face off against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. It would kind of cheapen it for him to win the universal title. Or, I mean, to win the WWE title at the same time. Right. Because, I mean, yeah, you know, you're... Granted, it would be... It would turn into a title versus title match, but at the same time... Right. You know, you're kind of combining two titles into one match. So, it takes away a potential big opportunity matchup for... Uh, a certain, we know how WWE has had problems making stars in recent right. years. Right, and then so if, you, it would take, if you want, a, as far as we know, it's going to be a two-day thing again. So it's like, yeah. wouldn't you want to have one of your top titles on each night? You would think. You would think right. that that would be the that would be the best option to have, uh, you know. Each night we would you would have uh, one title headline each night, unless they right. do what they did last year, unless they do what they did last year and maybe have Charlotte Flair against Ronda Rousey headline one night, and then the second night will be headlined by Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Right. Although to be fair, that could that could still technically happen uh, if it's a champion versus champion matchup. But you know, I'm kind of wondering. Could, you know, this could be crazy here, but considering the original plan was to have Riddle challenge for the title at WrestleMania. Could they maybe put the title on Riddle at Elimination Chamber and then have mm-hmm. a rematch at WrestleMania between Riddle and Bobby Lashley? Maybe. I mean, otherwise, unless we're going to have RK Bro break up in time for WrestleMania. Right. You know, there's not really going to be a spot for Riddle on the WrestleMania card. Right. So I don't know. 
I mean, we do have already three matches uh, lined up for WrestleMania. You have Roman Reigns against Brock Lesnar for the Universal title. Uh, could potentially be a unification match, depending on if Brock wins the title uh, at Elimination Chamber. You have Charlotte Flair defending her title against Ronda Rousey, uh, the SmackDown women's title. Uh, You have Becky Lynch. She is set to defend the Raw women's title against whoever, uh, whoever wins the Elimination Chamber. So right now there are three matches currently scheduled. And right. They're calling they're they're calling this tagline with it be with it being at AT and T Stadium, at the biggest football right. stadium currently in the NFL. They're calling this event the most stupendous two night event in WrestleMania history. So supposedly right. this is supposed to be a huge deal. Right. So, I'm kind of wondering if maybe perhaps we may actually see champion versus champion. I would not rule it out. Right. Point. But, you know, elimination, elimination chamber, I mean... Jesus. First off, mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know whose idea it was to call it elimination to, to put elimination chamber at uh at Saudi Arabia of all places. Right. At Saudi Arabia. It, it, right. It's it's such stupid planning by the WWE, but I guess finally they had to uh I guess finally they had to mm-hmm. say, they had to say well maybe we should maybe we should actually put an actual pay per view over there instead of having matches that don't really mean anything. Um, right. Which means I got to do time zone conversions to know what time to get on Peacock to watch it. Well, yeah, you know what? That's what I, that's what I'm kind of wondering. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of wondering, you know, when the when it's actually going to be, you know, is it going to be uh, during the podcast? Is it going to be before the podcast? Because we could potentially know, uh, depending on what time it starts, we could know the results uh, by the time right. the podcast goes on the air right. next week. Considering it being Saudi Arabia, I would think it would probably be probably before around the podcast. Noon. You would yeah. think you would think probably around noon, maybe one o'clock Eastern, because I believe that's right. when they did their last event. Right. So, yeah. Anyways, it's. I think this is actually a pretty solid card for an elimination chamber. Uh, pay-per-view that normally you know for elimination chamber it's considered to be a b show so there's not really mm-hmm. there's not really that much for them to you know really need to invest in it but from what from what they've been show, from, from what the card looks like right now this is probably the 
the one of the better elimination chamber card uh cards on paper in years. Mm-hmm. I mean apart from apart from Drew McIntyre against Madcap Moss, I seriously don't understand <laughs> why that's even a thing. Uh considering um, like I mentioned earlier, we, we, uh Drew McIntyre and Madcap Moss are on two completely different levels. I mean to to be fair we need a bathroom break match, so. Well, that could be Roman Reigns and Bill Goldberg. True. I mean, let's be honest. Goldberg can't even last a long match anyways. Right. So, you know, what better to have a bathroom break match than the Universal Championship? All right, uh, let's get into because obviously I've you know uh, I've spent pretty much the entire first hour here talking about uh, the WWE. Uh, everybody does know, uh, you know, we have a lot of other things on the table to talk about here. Uh, first off, oh, yeah. uh, I am expecting Lou uh, as we're heading into the second hour here. Lou will probably join us at some point. Uh, but let's talk about the Major League Baseball lockout, as it seems like there hasn't really been any uh, there hasn't really been any momentum uh, at all. And with spring training mm-hmm. expected to start in the next couple of days, you know, obviously that's not going to happen. Um, Apparently, both sides met today uh, that lasted literally less than an hour. I mean, hell, the, the, the session was already over by the time I woke up today, this afternoon. Um, according to what's been, uh, to what's been said, uh, Major League Baseball, they presented their counterproposal uh, to the players' union, which the players' union supposedly they left the meeting feeling very underwhelmed, which meant not a good sign for people that want the season to start. Uh, basically, uh, Major League Baseball, the owners, they made concessions in regards to core economic issues, including changes to the pre-arbitration bonus pools, as well as slight increases to competitive balance tax thresholds, which basically that means, you know, a higher salary cap, essentially. Um, And, I mean, the union will review it, but from what it sounded like, it sounded – it – it basically sounded like the they made absolutely no progress whatsoever today. Right. Uh, one of the one of the things that they have agreed to is instituting a universal DH, which means that we will have a DH not just in the American League but also in the National League. So, being a DH will actually no longer you know it'll no longer uh, handicap. Uh, one league over the other because both leagues will be on even playing ground uh, with a DH. Uh, It won't become official, obviously, until the new collective bargaining agreement has been put in place. Uh, But the writing has been on the wall for quite some time here. Uh, 
especially when they tried it out uh, previously, uh, having a universal DH option. Um, that was one of the concessions as part of the ongoing uh, negotiations. And now this basically means uh, National League hitters, they could see an increase in plate appearances, and National League pitchers will have to now face deeper batting orders moving forward here, which is basically uh, what the American League has been doing for years. So they finally caught up. Um, yeah, as far as, as, far as uh, it looks right now, though uh there's literally no sign whatsoever that this is going to be settled anytime soon so uh i would be i would be surprised if the regular season starts on time because there's literally been no progress made whatsoever uh when it comes to reaching potentially a new deal uh, so, Alexis, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on the current state of Major League Baseball right now as it stands here? I, I've always said it's like I don't pay much attention to baseball. I don't watch it except for, like, the World Series. But they need to get whatever the hell they're fighting about figured out and just play the damn game. Yeah, you would think you would think it's it's quite a bit of bullshit. The fact that uh, right, you know, the fact that the players help them help the uh, the owners make money. So wouldn't you want right. to keep your players happy? Yeah, you I mean, want to I keep under- your I players happy. Go ahead. You want to make your players, those are your employees, you want to make them happy. They'll make you money. It works the same in just about any place you work. It's like if your employees aren't happy, they're going to just quit. And you see so many places that are short-staffed now, they're not going to be making as much because they're not able to keep employees happy and having such short staff. And also, you know, another thing, too, is the fact that Major League Baseball, they did just sign new, uh, new, or, you know, not sponsorship, but new uh, TV deals, which is supposed right. to give out a shit ton of money. So right. start, if they start to miss games to begin this new deal, imagine mm-hmm. how pissed off some of the TV networks are going to be. Oh, yeah. And as part of this, uh, you know, as as part of this whole thing, uh, now with the C, with the CBA officially no longer in effect, according to the Associated Press, Major League Baseball has now stopped testing forty man roster players for steroids because the drug agreement that the sport had. Uh, has also expired along with the CBA. So now that opens up the possibility you could see players potentially take the risk 
to use something during this work stoppage because there is the possibility right. that you know they could they could cycle out the steroids or whatever performance enhancers they use in time for the regular season to start before that you know before they would have to start uh getting tested again mhm i mean uh it's been stated uh, by the chief executive officer of the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency, uh, that you could easily do what the cyclists were doing, like Lance Armstrong, uh, even in a good testing program, which was microdosing of testosterone. Uh, he said you can do testosterone gels or oral pills that could be out of your system, and you could do more in maybe weeks. And you could wonder if maybe the question, maybe the legitimacy of uh, potential statistics this upcoming year could be questioned if we start to see unusual performances or breakout numbers this year, if the season uh, ever gets underway. Right. So I mean, what what are your thoughts there? Do you think do you think perhaps we could see uh, some some players potentially take advantage of this? Oh, most definitely, people are going to take advantage of this. I mean, then again, we did see, uh, you know, for for example. If you take steroids and you're caught, that pretty much negates any chance you ever had of going into the Hall of Fame. I mean, look at Barry Bonds. Right. Barry Bonds didn't get in in his final year this year. And even before he took the steroids, he was putting up Hall of Fame numbers. Right. So, you know, I don't know. I, I guess it is a possibility, especially depending on if if they haven't done so already, uh, starting up, uh, starting, you know, getting roided up here. Uh, I don't even know how the league couldn't have seen this coming, that, you know, people would, people would potentially take advantage of this. You would think, okay, if you can't come to an agreement on a collective bargaining deal, that you would at least have to come to an agreement on the uh, on a new, you know, uh, steroid on a new drug testing deal. Though, of course, you know, I guess that kind of has something, some sort of ties with the players' union, because obviously the players' union would have to agree with it, right? Uh, let's see. One other uh, piece of baseball news. Uh, according to The Athletic, Trevor Bauer, uh, Los Angeles Dodgers starting pitcher, will not face criminal charges from the L.A. County court system. Uh, this comes after a five-month review into allegations of sexual assault against Bauer. Uh, the district attorney determined that there was insufficient evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he had committed a crime. So while he won't face charges, uh, Major League Baseball still does have the right to suspend Bauer. 
but a ruling from Commissioner Rob Manfred is supposedly not to be expected anytime soon. Also, uh, the Colorado Rockies, they extended manager Bud Black through the 2023 season. Uh, there's yet to have been an, uh, an official announcement made, but the news has been confirmed by multiple beat reporters. Uh, he was about to enter the, final, enter the final guaranteed year of his previous three-year deal, so this does ensure that he won't be a lame duck coach out there in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Uh, He does have a career record of 349 and 359 over five seasons at the helm in Colorado. And the club has finished well under 500 each of the last three seasons while also shedding a number of standout players. Uh, Let us dive into the NFL as I mean, hell, you could choose whatever, whatever the whatever the hell uh, kind of story that uh, you know kind of story that we could talk about here. I mean, we might as well start, I guess, with the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl Fifty Six between the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals at SoFi Stadium where even though they're in Los Angeles, the Rams will be considered the away team per right. uh, NFL rules. Uh, we got in their own stadium, they are the away team. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, it's cra- It's crazy to think about when it comes to, um, when it comes to, you know, statistics and whatnot, but hell, that's what, I mean, even though the Rams were 12 and five and the Bengals were 10 and seven, the Bengals are supposedly the home team here. Yep. But, uh, you know, I think this should be really interesting. Uh, by the way, uh, Tyler Higby, uh, the LA tight end, he will not play officially as he is still dealing with his injury that he suffered two weeks ago. Uh, so he is considered out for this matchup uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, who would have, who would have ever believed uh, Alexis that in his second year, especially coming off of a, off of a devastating injury, his, his rookie year that ended his rookie season, we would see Joe Burrow go from the, the national title game to all of a sudden in a two-year span make the Super Bowl and potentially win the Super Bowl. JB. I mean... I think he's the only one. <laughs> it's... It's unbelievable. You know, this was a team that last year, once they lost, you know, they were bad with Burrow to begin with. But once they lost Joe Burrow, they basically completely collapsed and they turtled up basically the entire rest of the season. Oh, yeah. And actually, you know, if I take a look at – if I take a look at this – at this team right now, let me see. 
Hang on, if I can find a yeah, here we go. A season by season record here. They finished last year at four, eleven, and one. The last Ooh. time they ever even the last time they ever even made the playoffs was back in twenty fifteen with Andy Dalton. You know, back when Andy Dalton was good instead of absolutely sucking <laughs> uh like he has. Right. In recent years, uh, I mean, this year though has been a year of firsts for the Bengals. The first, the first playoff game that has been won by the by the Bengals in well since 1988, or no, actually no, I'm I'm corrected here. Uh, since since 19, 1990 was the last time that they had won the uh you know that they that they had won a playoff game against the Houston right. Oilers. But this year though, they've gone through the Vegas Raiders who have completely overhauled their team since. Uh they right. they went through the Tennessee Titans. They went through the Kansas City Chiefs where I mean, you got you had to be down in the dumps after watching that game. Yeah, you know, it, it's a good thing I wasn't serving that day. I was just hosting because I, I swear I probably would have gotten all of my tables just stiff me just because I would have been that upset and been like, man, this I don't want to be here no more. They, they were making jokes yeah. in the back that they were going to be down a host. Well, I mean, you know, it was just a complete shock to everybody that yeah. somehow Joe Burrow, despite a absolutely horrible offensive line, and then, you know, this kind of this kind of uh, adds to the potential for uh, you know for the Super Bowl tomorrow because they're going to be facing another tough defensive line. Uh, with yeah. Aaron Donald and Von Miller, you know, there's a possibility we could see another potential nine sack night for uh, against oh. uh, against Joe Burrow here. Hey, they still won that game. They did still win that game somehow, yeah. But you know, Honestly, if I'm looking at Tennessee's at Tennessee's defense and I'm looking at LA's defense, I mean LA's defense is completely different compared to Tennessee's. So true. I mean, just taking a look at how these two teams match up, uh the Rams were ninth in the league in offense. Uh total total offense that is. Uh the Bengals were thirteenth. The Rams were 17th in defense. The Bengals were 18th. The Rams had the fifth best passing offense in the league. The Bengals had the seventh best. The uh, Rams had the 25th best rushing uh, offense, while the Bengals had the 23rd. So clearly, you know, this is this is probably, if anything, going to be a battle through the air, if anything, between two former number yeah. one overall picks, uh, 
two former number one overall picks, Joe Burrow for the Bengals, uh, Matt Stafford for the Rams. I guess, you know, the big question here is, can Matt Stafford finally prove the doubters wrong and right. win and win the big one, finally win the big one with a team that actually knows how to play? Or are we going to see another star be born in Joe Burrow winning the Super Bowl two years after he won the national title? Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, Alexis? I mean, part of me wants to see Joe Burrow and the Bengals win just because of how amazing that would be. You know, two years removed from the NCAA National Championship to winning the Super Bowl. Yeah. And then, yeah, at the, then at the same time, Matt Stanford sends one big FU to – the Lions by winning the Super Bowl in his first year with the new team. And this would be their first Super Bowl victory in team history. Right. If they were if they were to somehow uh win against that defense. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you take you know you take a look at the Bengals first off here. They have the offensive rookie of the year in Jamar Chase. Right. Put up massive put up massive numbers this year. Uh, if I can, you know, find them here real quick. Thirteen receiving touchdowns on eighty-one catches for one thousand four hundred and fifty-five yards, and that's for the regular season. He also he's also had one touchdown uh in three playoff games so far on 20 catches for 279 yards. I mean, you know, this is an this is an immediate connection that Joe Burrow had with him uh back from L- from his days at LSU. So this is if anything this is just a continuation of that. But I mean, my god, you know, the they they also have uh, the comeback player of the year in Joe Burrow, which I mean, hell, you take a look at his stats from this year, and it's kind of hard to not give him it, uh, not give him that award. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, he had right. he had a ten and six he had a ten and six record. Uh, he missed only one game this year. Uh, he completed seventy point four percent of his passes. For 4,611 yards, which is an average of 8.9 yards per throw, uh, per completion, I mean. He had 34 touchdowns, 14 picks, and he had a quarterback rating of 108.3. To me, this is – Joe Burrow is basically a star in the making right now. And literally, that you know, a Super Bowl win here would put him into that elite status if he isn't elite already. Uh, when it comes to the quarterbacks that are currently in the that are currently around the league here, however, on the opposite side of the coin, 
you have Matt Stafford. You know, he's played he's played with the likes of Calvin Johnson. But all of these years were spent wasted in Detroit. Yeah. He finally gets the opportunity to play with a legitimate offense, a legitimate team. I mean, he you know, he he puts up numbers like a scoring machine to begin with. He set a or no, he tied a career high in touchdowns this year with 41 touchdowns. He also had 17 picks. Uh he completed 67.2%, which was a uh that tied his career high that was set in 2015 with Detroit. I mean, he hasn't had a winning season with a winning record in for, since 2017 when the Lions finished 9 and 7. So 12 and 5 here was a welcome uh by the way, that is, that's actually the best record that he's ever had. He's never he's never won twelve NFL games in a se- in a season. So that's actually a new high for him. Uh, but he threw for he threw for for uh, four thousand eight hundred and eighty six yards this year, uh, an average of eight point one per completion. In the playoffs so far, he's completed 72% of his passes, six touchdowns, one pick. I mean, he's playing the best football of his career right now. In his... In... I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to see how many years. I think it's been 13 years he's been in the league. Let me see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, eight, nine. Yeah, thirteen years in the league, and he's playing his be- the best football of his career at the age of thirty-four right now. You know, is this finally the year that he gets it done? Mm-hmm. And this would actually be the first Super Bowl win for uh, the LA Rams since the Greatest Show on Turf. Back in uh, back before the uh, before the Rams lost to the Patriots, that started up the Patriots dynasty. Right. At least for the franchise, I should say. Uh, I mean, over there though, you got Cooper Cup, probably the best uh, wide receiver currently in in the league. You got Odell Beckham Jr., who has seemingly revitalized his career since leaving Cleveland and now all of a sudden has found uh, what seems to be a winning formula out here in L.A. Uh, You know, you you have Aaron Donald. You got Von Miller. I mean, L.A. has – they do not have a first-round draft pick Till I think it's twenty. Wait a minute. I gotta hang on. I gotta look. Up, I gotta look up. Uh, I got. I gotta look up and see and see what their 
what their official draft uh, draft pick list is here. Okay, so they do not have a draft pick in 2020. Uh, this year, they do not have a draft pick. They do not have a draft pick in 2023. So they they have not had a first round pick since 2016 when they took Jared Goff. So the last two years, or the last four or wait, starting with 2020, they traded both their 2020 and 2021 first round picks to Jacksonville in order to get Jalen Ramsey. Now they've Mm -hmm. traded, they traded both their 2022 and 2023 first round picks to get Matthew Stafford. So, you know, they've basically gone all in here, right? With their with their draft picks. And let me see, where does okay? They do have one in twenty twenty four. So, uh, basically, for the next two years, they do not have a first round pick. So. You know, they've essentially gone all in here. So if they fail, I mean that sets Ooh. them back quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, hell, their their first pick this year doesn't go, doesn't come until the third round. So it's. You know, they're pretty much banking on themselves winning the Super Bowl here and now and, you know, potentially next year as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a hell of a gamble. It's a hell of a gamble from from L.A., but, you know, I think, honestly, the biggest thing it's going to come down to here is can the defense hold up? Mm-hmm. Will the defense be able to get – to uh, you know, to Joe Burrow. Yeah. Right, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, Evan? Or I mean, Alexis. Sorry. I I was looking at stuff. I don't think they have a a pick in the third round either. If I recall, no, they do. They traded the second ant. They do. Yeah, they do because I know they, uh, traded... they because they lost one of their they get a, comp, a compensatory pick from the NFL due to uh losing oh. their uh they they uh, lost a former front office executive uh to the Lions as their general manager. So oh, okay. because of that. Yeah, that So because of that, that's going to be like uh, they've been given a third round pick. Okay, that that's going to be one of the only their only third round pick. It looks like they lo- lose. They don't have their fourth round pick either. It's like they they don't have very many picks this year. Yeah, they um, and the Broncos have their the Broncos have their second and third round picks this year. The Lions have their first round pick this year. The Rams do get a compensatory pick, but that'll be at the like the bottom of the third round. 
the Texans right. have their fourth round pick. The Texans have their fourth round pick, uh, which actually no, actually no. I believe now that fourth round pick has gone to Carolina. So basically, they'll have a third round pick, and then they'll pick again in the fifth round. Yeah. Before they'll then have two, they'll then have two seventh round picks. So because their sixth right. round pick they yeah. traded. Uh, they traded to the Patriots for Sony Michelle. Uh, next year, they will have a second and third round pick. They won't have their fourth round pick because they traded that to the Patriots as well for Sony Michelle. Uh, they'll have a fifth round pick. They'll have they'll have two sixth round picks, and they'll have a seventh round pick. So, needless to say. Their draft stock, uh, you know, their their stash of draft picks right now is very barren. Right. So, it's you know, need, needless to say, it, it just doesn't it just doesn't look good right now for. Uh, mm-hmm. For 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 their draft, so they better hope that they get at least one Super Bowl win out of this. Yeah, because if they if they don't, it's gonna look like a like a like an utter disaster on uh, on LA's side here. So I guess you know the big question is I mean obviously the uh, the Bengals are fa- or the the uh, Rams are favored right now by shit I don't know what the line is up uh, up now uh yeah let me check ESPN I'll check ESPN real quick see what they have as the current betting line I know it was. It was what four for? Uh, yeah, it was four for when, us. Uh, when Tim when Tim posted the picks. Yeah, right. Okay, it is still four. It is still four. So still four. Uh, yeah. From from what I can from from what ESPN is saying is saying it's still four right now. Okay. So. I mean, looking at the looking at who's available, uh, Robert Woods is out still for the Rams. He's he's done for the year. He's on injured reserve. Tyler Higby was placed on injured reserve, so he's out. That's two key offensive weapons that are out for the Rams. Uh, anybody else? Not really. Uh, not really a surprise. The Bengals, they'll be with. Uh, they may be without C.J. Uzama. Uh, he's listed as questionable, surprisingly, uh, considering the injury that he did suffer in the in the championship game. That's kind of a bit of, a bit of a shocker. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, you take a look at their at these season leaders, rushing wise. It definitely uh, the edge definitely does go to the Bengals. Uh, Joe Mixon, you know, he had 1,200 yards 
13 touchdowns on 292 carries. Sony Michelle was the lead rusher for the Rams, four touchdowns, 845 yards on 208 carries. I mean, it's a drastic difference uh, comparing both lead running backs uh, between the Rams and the Bengals. Receivers, though, it's going to be a dogfight. I mean, Cooper Cup had nearly 2,000 receiving yards on 16 touchdowns and 104. Let me let me make sure I'm saying this right. 145 catches this year by Cooper Cup in 17 games on 145 catches during the regular season. Jamar Chase for the Bengals had 81 catches, 455 yards, and 13 touchdowns. I mean, on paper, this kind of doesn't even seem fair. No. You know, I would almost say that I'm surprised the the spread is only four points right now. I mean, maybe it's because of the fact that Burrow does have, uh, you know, Burrow does have the firepower to kind of uh, keep it, to kind of keep pace with L.A., but, I mean, mm-hmm. L.A., you got Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham Jr., Van Jefferson. Uh, you know, they won't be without, they, you know, they won't be with their, uh, they won't have their tight end, their, their lead tight end. But, I mean, the Rams, they basically have an enviable offense out there. Right. And, I mean, the defense, you've got a shutdown, a shutdown corner in Jalen Ramsey. you got – you got Von Miller, you got Aaron Donald. I mean, I think this could, this defense could be potentially more menacing than the defense that the Patriots faced off against when they won 13 uh, nothing in their last Super Bowl. And also, imagine this, Evan, or I mean, Alexis, there's you know, a possibility we could see Sean McVay potentially coaching his last uh, NFL game here. As McVay supposedly wants to try and balance uh, a better work, a better work slash life balance with his marriage on the horizon. He's previously said he does not intend to coach until he's 60. So there's talk that he's considered working as a television analyst uh, with ESPN uh, as an alternative to coaching. So you could potentially see McVeigh potentially retire here following a potential Super Bowl win. Right. So there is a lot. To, uh, you know, a lot of variables in play here for uh, 
for this uh, for this Super Bowl. Now, we go from the Super Bowl to, and I, I still can't believe that this story has been brought back up into the spotlight here, but Deflategate, <laughs> Deflategate is back in the news. Some, some what, seven years, six, seven years uh, in the past, And it's, I mean, a new article was posted Sunday night, uh, last Sunday night, where Mike Florio uh, from Pro Football Talk, he was doing uh, research for his new book called Playmakers. And some interesting things got brought up involving Deflategate. Uh, one of them relates to the air pressure checks of footballs that were conducted league-wide throughout the 2015 season, which was the season following the AFC Championship Colts, in which the Patriots right. footballs were allegedly underinflated. The results of those 2015 tests were no longer made pu- or were never made public, and according to Florio, they no longer even exist. The league reportedly expunged the numbers on direct order of NFL counsel, of NFL general counsel Jeff Pash. Florio also added that the PSI numbers for games played in cold weather came in, uh, came in too close to the actual numbers generated by the New England footballs at halftime of the playoff game against the Colts. So this would provide a good incentive for the NFL to bury the results, given that they were still fighting Brady in court at the time. And Brady would ultimately give up the legal fight, and he would end up serving his suspension during the 2016 season. Now, Goodell has said in the past that the spot checks were not done to collect data, but rather to simply make sure that teams weren't altering footballs. Of course, you know, it's convenient to say it was never about the data if the data contradicts your narrative. So if it supported the NFL's – if the data had supported the NFL's case, why wouldn't they share it? So Because it's their narrative. Exactly. You know what this clearly states? It basically states – that the Patriots didn't deflate footballs. No. That the NFL was doing a witch hunt like everybody thought back during that time, well, everybody in New England at least, thought during that time that the balls, yeah, they may have been deflated, but it wasn't from the Patriots. It was due to the weather. Right. Anybody who knows anybody who knows science and the impact that cold weather can have would know that. And I even said this back then. And the other nugget from Florio here 
is in regards to Chris Mortensen's report that 11 of the 12 Patriots footballs were underinflated by at least two pounds each, which this came a couple of days after the AFC championship game. And this, uh, and that at the time sent the whole story into hyperdrive. The report was ultimately proven to be inaccurate as only one ball was two pounds under and only on one of the two gauges used, but that didn't come until the league's investigation was already underway. Mortensen never revealed his source for that report. However, Florio reports that it was Troy Vincent, the NFL's executive vice president of football operations, and somebody that would have a bone to pick with the Patriots and or Tom Brady, because Brady always whipped his ass on the Mm -hmm. field. Now, Florio also added that it's unclear whether Vincent deliberately lied to Mortensen or if he believed that he had the correct numbers at the time. Uh, Vincent would ultimately author the May 2015 announcement of Brady's suspension, which stated in part that there is substantial incredible evidence to conclude you, being Brady, were at least generally aware of the actions of the Patriots employees involved in the deflation of the footballs and that it was unlikely that their actions were done without your knowledge. Vincent then later confirmed during an appeal hearing that he had never heard of ideal gas law which explains why a football, like a car tire, would lose air pressure in cold weather before the league even launched their investigation, as he admitted that he didn't include science. So Vincent not taking science into account early on would explain how he started with the assumption that Brady and the Patriots must have done something wrong. And it might explain why he decided to leak the inaccurate PSI numbers to Mortensen. Combined with the report that the NFL destroyed the results of the 2015 spot checks, it paints a picture of a league that had its mind made up before the investigation even started and they were determined not to budge, even if science and its own collective collected data suggested their initial premise that Brady may have tampered with the that Brady must have tampered with the balls was off base. And seven years later, they still have not budged from that stance. Goodell has mm-hmm. dodged questions during past Super Bowl weeks when asked if he still believes suspending Brady was the right thing to do. The league, Florio says the league did not respond to two separate emails about his new findings. I mean, to me, Alexis, this just screams that it was a witch hunt the entire time. Oh, yeah. It was a witch hunt. They wanted Brady to be guilty. I mean the fact that the fact that they destroyed the 2015 results right it's almost like they were like well shit we just made a complete ass of ourselves with this whole entire 
uh, you know, with, with this whole this whole entire thing, that mm-hmm. you know, it, it it just further cements why Deflategate is considered to be a black mark on the NFL. Except this time, it's it's not because of the Patriots. It's because of the fact that the NFL tried to cover it up, and now it's been exposed. And it ultimately proves how much of a piece of dog shit that both Goodell and Troy uh, and Troy Vincent both are. I mean, I guess you know, I guess Troy Vincent couldn't he couldn't get over the fact that Brady fucking whooped his ass so many times on the football field that. He he didn't know what to do with himself apparently, mm-hmm. and thus, as a matter of fact, let me double check. No, okay, so it wasn't from that year. Okay, I was thinking maybe he was uh, maybe he was still salty from being uh, from losing the Super Bowl to Brady, but no, he was uh, he had left the Eagles. Uh, he had left the Eagles the year after. So he left the Eagles when Brady beat the Carolina Panthers in the Super Bowl. Then the the next year later, uh, actually the next three years after that, uh, he was getting his ass whooped by Brady uh, on the Buffalo Bills for the next three years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and he's been – He's been the head of football operations uh, for the NFL since 2014, and it's honestly he's been basically a gigantic joke to the entire sport. And it's I I don't even want to talk about the ass hat anymore. But. I mean, what what else, what else could what what else can can we really say about this, Alexis? I, I don't think there's anything left to say. Yeah, it's just deflate. It's it's basically it's. For people who don't think that. The, uh, that the league has a vested interest over who makes it to the Super Bowl or who wins the Super Bowl every year. Mm. This should be a sign that, uh, yeah, they do. Because clearly they right. didn't want the Patriots going to the Super Bowl that year. Right. And by the way, this just in, the Brooklyn Nets have just lost their 11th straight game. And obviously, coming up, we'll be talking about the NBA trade deadline. But yeah, uh, the Brooklyn Nets, they have just lost their 11th straight game. As their free fall continues. And this is actually, mm-hmm. you know, we'll obviously we'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, it has to do with the NBA trade deadline as well. 
right. This next uh, this next story. Uh, obviously, you've heard about the uh, about uh, the whole situation involving um, Brian Flores, right? And his lawsuit against the league. Yeah. Well, he was supposedly one of the finalists for the Houston Texans job uh, as head coach. And it got down to him or Josh McCown. And they were like, well, shit, we saw, we, we know how bad it, how bad it's going to look if we choose uh, a backup quarterback, a career backup quarterback who hasn't had any experience whatsoever coaching against, uh, a guy who's being against a guy who's being dispute, uh, you know, who's who's suing the NFL, uh, but has uh, has a history of the last two seasons with a winning record. Uh, shit, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Well, we can't hire the backup quarterback, and we can't hire him either. Oh, hey, Lovey. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I know you're our defensive coordinator right now, but, uh, hey, you want to coach again? Sure. Good. You're hired. Hey. Lovey Smith, who went 8-24 and 24 his last two seasons that he was a head coach back when Tampa Bay uh, had Jameis Winston, and – he had gone 17 and 39 during a five year stint with the Illinois fighting Illini in the college ranks. And then he returned uh, to the NFL after he got fired from Illinois to serve as the defensive coordinator uh, and assistant head coach this year for the Texans, where they finished 27th in points allowed and 31st in yards allowed out of 32 NFL teams. Now granted, he did he uh he was a top flight head coach during the early days of his time in Chicago, but we're roughly a decade removed from that time in his career. To me, Alexis, this just screams that the Bear or that the Texans were like, "Well, shit, we can't hire uh we can't hire Flores." So we got we got to hire we got to hire a black person in order to make ourselves look good for the uh you know for um for diversity reasons so let's mm-hmm. hire let's hire Lovey Smith who's been our defensive coordinator for the last year even though he couldn't even make it at the college ranks I mean, how much worse of an organ? First off, what are your thoughts on the on the Brian Flores situation? I mean, I assume you've read a little bit into into that, you know, with the fact that supposedly he had been bribed by the Dolphins head coach to to tank games, mm-hmm. and he refused to do so. Um. Plus, he also has other allegations against different teams as well that he had interviewed for, uh, involving right. involving uh, Bill Belichick was even involved too. When Belichick call, uh, texted him to congratulate him, only to only to think that he was apparently texting Brian Dable uh, 
on the uh, to congratulate him for the Giants job instead of Brian Flores. I mean, well, what are your thoughts, Alexis, on on that whole uh, lawsuit that he has currently against the NFL for racism and uh, uh, hiring practices when it comes to uh, head coaching positions? I. I honestly don't know what exactly it's like. He's basically saying that it's like a lot of his interviews were more shams just to like appease the whole uh, Rowdy rule or whatever. Rudy, the Rooney, the that Rooney rule. rule, yeah, 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 yeah the Rooney rule. It's like almost have to look like what look him up a bit because it's like. There's a lot of these teams you're interviewing for, though, that don't know what the fuck they're doing when hiring a head coach. But at the same so time, the, they uh, pro- you know, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to the yeah. Texans, it probably right. they probably would have potentially hired Brian Flores. But yeah, the problem I, is I now the with... Texans... Go ahead. Yeah, they, they were likely to hire him. It's just now it's a situation that if we hire him, we got to deal with all the media attention. It's not even that. It's the fact that shit. Now uh, Goodell will uh, will lay the hammer on us because we decided to right. hire somebody who's currently suing the league. Right. So it's. You know, it would basically paint a bad picture. Uh, right. Uh, it would actually, if anything, maybe kind of support his. Uh, actually, I don't. I don't know if it would even support his lawsuit. I don't. I don't think it would. And it's like I was looking at teams. It's like you got the Giants, Broncos, and Dolphins that he's suing against. Okay, let's see. The Giants can't even deal a draft pick right. The Broncos haven't been that great since Peyton Manning left. And the Dolphins, we don't even have to get into that. The Dolphins kind of suck to begin with. Yeah, it's like. Oh, the Dolphins is a different situation. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the Giants and Broncos don't really know what the fuck they're doing. To be fair, the Dolphins are on their way up. I mean, they want they yeah, finished the, the season. They finished the season this season, winning seven of their last eight games. Right. Yeah, they're, they're the only ones that are on the up. But the Giants, I mean, they have a new they have a new GM now. So maybe perhaps, you know, they can actually, with with Dave Gettleman no longer handling things there, that maybe the Giants could Mm -hmm. could perhaps turn a corner. Uh, Right. The Broncos, the Broncos, I mean, I don't understand what's going on with the Broncos. They're, you would think Elway would, would have more of a passion for, uh, for the Broncos and what they, and what they do, considering the fact that, he fucking won what two Super Bowls for the team, you know. He's only the right. greatest Bronco in Denver history. So, 
I mean, I, I, I don't understand what's going on in Denver, but Miami, I mean, they're coming off of two consecutive seasons with a with a record above 500. So, you know, I still say it now. It, it was a stupid-ass decision to fire Flores. And considering right. the allegations that have been that have been brought against the Dolphins, it kind of makes sense why they would fire Flores because Flores refused mm-hmm. to tank. Right. And because the, the, there's no reason why you would fire a coach who finished two of his three seasons above 500. Right. And from what it sounds like, uh, with with the responses that were made uh, from former players, uh, former Dolphins players like Kenny Stills, uh, it sounds like he wasn't shocked at all from the from the right. report. So, and another thing is, is, you know, Stephen Ross, the Miami Dolphins owner, he owns a stake in either a casino or uh, a betting site. You know, regardless, he owns a stake in gambling-related stuff. So... For him to potentially alter Miami Dolphins games by force by trying to bribe his coach into throwing the games, I mean that's if anything that's also a conflict of interest on his part with mm-hmm. one of the other uh, one of the uh, you know one of one of his other uh, things that he owns. But yeah, uh, speaking of the Dolphins, they also they hired uh, they went the diversity route too, and they hired a multiracial uh, offensive coordinator for the San Francisco Forty ers Mike McDaniel, to be their next head coach. Uh, it came down to McDaniel and Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore uh, as the finalists for the Dolphins head coach. And it looks like that McDaniel, uh, basically whoever the Dolphins were going to hire was supposed to, was supposed to have full confidence in Tua Tunga Bailoa to lead this uh, team. And mm-hmm. it looks like McDaniel is that guy that they're going with. Uh he had spent four years as San Francisco's run game coordinator. So with him, with him having experience creating an efficient uh, ground attack and with Miami finishing 30th in rushing yards last year, I guess we should kind of expect that the Miami run game is going to be a lot different next year compared to what it's been uh, recently. Right. Uh, the Saints, they stopped everybody in their – they stopped the diversity hiring in its tracks, though, as they decided to go with Whitey, and uh, they promoted their defensive coordinator, Dennis Allen, to uh, head coach to replace Sean Payton. And by the way, this was Sean Payton's 
handpicked guy that he wanted to succeed him if he were to ever step down as uh, the head coach of mm-hmm. the Saints. Um, the Saints, they gave a interview to Eric Bieniemy, uh of the Chiefs, uh, the Chiefs offensive coordinator, who, by the way, I guess his contract is expiring as well. So uh, it hasn't been reported yet if he has signed an extension. But uh, Bieniemy has been passed over for the job. And instead, they go with a guy who went 4-12 and in consecutive seasons in his only time as a head coach with the Oakland Raiders. 4-12 <laughs> in two consecutive years. And then he, and then he, started, then he started 2014 at 0-4 before he got fired. So a combined total of 8-28. and and this is a guy that they that they uh, see as their next head coach. You know, with those numbers, you'd think they were in the NFC East. You would think, yeah. I mean, whatever. You know, I guess whatever uh, whatever New Orleans wants to do. I, I guess it has something to do, maybe, with being. Uh, you know, with keeping familiarity around, whatever. They're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, but it's it's a head-scratcher for me when you have a guy like Eric B. and the Emmy out there on the market, and you know, you've seen what – You've seen what he what he's done with uh, with Pat Mahomes in that Kansas City Chiefs mm-hmm. offense. I just I I don't understand why why they would go with Dennis Allen, only, uh, unless it's only because Sean Payton wanted this guy to succeed him. It's probably that's the only that. thing I can think of. That, uh we do have two uh we do have two two uh legal issues to talk about uh Alvin Kamara of the New Orleans Saints was arrested after the pro bowl last week uh in Las Vegas for a battery resulting in substantial bodily harm uh, the statement from the Vegas Police Department states that the incident occurred in a nightclub on February 5th, uh, the day before he participated in the Pro Bowl. Uh, the investigation is still ongoing. Apparently, something happened, but basically, uh, he is basically. I don't know what I don't know what he's facing right now in terms of a sentence, but needless to say, this is the last thing that New Orleans needs uh, needs to hear for <laughs> in regards to their star running back. Oh, yeah. Uh, also, when it comes to when it comes to uh, legal troubles, uh, a defensive back for the Washington Commanders, DeShazor Everett, 
He was officially charged with involuntary manslaughter stemming from a December car crash that ended up killing his girlfriend, Olivia Peters. Uh, The investigation into the accident determined that Everett was going over twice the posted 45-mile-per-hour speed limit just prior to the crash. Um, He had voluntarily appeared earlier uh, in the magistrar's office where he was served with a warrant for involuntary manslaughter, uh, his attorney said in the statement. Uh, Obviously, they intend to vigorously defend him against the allegations. Uh, He was injured in the incident after his vehicle hit several trees and rolled over. Uh, He was their special teams captain this past season. Uh, Some other little bits here. The Giants, they hired former Ravens defensive coordinator Wink Martindale uh, to be their new defensive coordinator after Baltimore ranked top three in points allowed in three of Martindale's four seasons as defensive coordinator, a category in which the Giants struggled in last year. So obviously uh, a much-needed improvement for – for the Giants, uh, for the Giants coaching tree. Uh, speaking of the Giants, the Patriots they have rehired Joe Judge, the former Giants head coach, as an offensive assistant. It says here um, the Raiders had showed interest in Judge, if only because McDaniel's uh, new head coach Josh McDaniel's had a say in the matter. Uh, but Joe Judge was New England's wide receivers coach when he left to the Patriots in 2019, which, considering they lost their wide receivers coach today, maybe perhaps Joe Judge may step back into that capacity uh, this upcoming season. Uh, Let's see, the Jaguars, they hired defensive coordinator Mike Caldwell, Uh, who was a former teammate and fellow assistant coach with Doug Peterson back in Philadelphia. Um, He spent 14 years as a defensive assistant, and he finally gets the opportunity to be a defensive coordinator. Uh, He initially joined the Buccaneers as their uh, inside linebackers coach in 2018. So this will mark the first time in his entire career as a coach that he's been tasked with coordinating an entire defense. So Jaguars, good luck with that, I guess. Um, Let's see. Also, the Washington Commanders owner, Dan Snyder, is reportedly hiring an independent investigative team to look into the sexual harassment allegations that have been made by a former Washington cheerleader and marketing manager, Tiffany Johnston. The investigative team is Palace Global Group, LLC, which is led by former assistant U.S. attorneys Bonnie Jonas and Tiffany Moeller, They have retained Deborah Wong Yang, who is highly regarded in the field, to lead the investigation. Following the conclusion of the investigation, the findings will be released to the public. Uh, Snyder had previously appeared to be a roadblock in the NFL, releasing any findings to the public, given the fact 
that he is the subject of the investigation. And Washington has reportedly pledged their full cooperation with the investigation. Now we head to the NBA for the trade deadline, which this Evan uh, or Alexis may have been the biggest, most active trade deadline we've seen in recent memory. And it all started, believe it or not, it was not with the big name trade. It was with a trade that absolutely stunned the entire league with Tyrese Halliburton heading to the Indiana Pacers from the Sacramento Kings. And to, to, to show you just exactly how big this is, this is the equivalent of the Golden State Warriors if they decided to choose Monte Ellis over Steph Curry. The Kings decided to go with De'Aaron Fox instead of Tyrese Halliburton as their future. So now, uh, basically, the Pacers, they get Tyrese Halliburton as well as Buddy Heald and Tristan Thompson, while the Pacers send over uh, star forward DeMontis Sabonis, uh, as well as, hang on. Okay, so they get DeMontis Sabonis and I think is that it? Wait, hang on. They they get okay, so mm-hmm. they get uh DeMontis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a twenty twenty seven second round pick in exchange for the the Sacramento Kings sending Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson to Indiana. I mean, this mm-hmm. basically shook up the league completely. To It made teams basically think, you know, maybe perhaps nobody is safe uh, this in this deadline if we're going to have huge names like this get sent off right away. I right. Mean, what, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on this, Alexis? Because I mean, supposedly this is Sacramento trying to get into the play in tournament. And obviously Indiana right. at this point is at, at this point, Indiana is waving the white flag Sacramento. They're trying to get into the play in tournament, but I mean, this is, yeah. This is being looked at as such a dumb move because this is the equivalent of Sacramento deciding to, like I said, uh, this would be if Golden State chose Monte Ellis over Steph Curry. Right. And instead, Sacramento is choosing to side with De'Aaron Fox over Tyrese Halliburton. Oh, that is a, speaking of basketball, that is a huge missed free throw for LeBron. So it looks like the Lakers, 
they may be on their way to losing yet another game, uh, this time against Golden State with 2.4 seconds to go. Uh, this next trade, we had the Trailblazers continuing their uh, fire sale, basically, sending C.J. Mm-hmm. McCollum along with Larry Nance Jr. and Tony Snell over to the New, the, uh, New Orleans Pelicans. And by the way, that did go final, 117-115 Golden State over uh, L.A., uh, in exchange, the Pelicans send over Josh Hart, Thomas Sadoransky, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Didi Luzada, a protected first, and two future second-round picks for C.J. McCollum, Larry Nance, and Tony Snell. This right here pretty much tells me that Damian Lillard should be thinking about packing his bags this offseason. Uh, and mm-hmm. requesting a trade from Portland because at this point, Portland is in a full-on rebuild. Yeah, Hell, uh, I was. I there's was two of, of the, and there's two of those names that two of those names for Portland didn't even stay in Portland for very long. Yeah, that's right. Uh, as a matter of fact, I believe it was Alexander Walker and was Sadoransky on the move too, I think? Yeah, Sadoransky is now on my Spurs. Oh, speaking of your Spurs, uh, we'll get to that deal in a minute because um, I know you're probably devastated uh, when it comes to uh, Derek White. Uh, but what what are your thoughts actually on CJ McCollum now being sent to the Pelicans because the Pelicans get better here. Uh, yeah, Portland is clearly on a on a rebuild phase here. I mean, wouldn't you kind of expect that we've seen perhaps the last of Damian, the, the last season of Damian Lillard as a Portland Trailblazer at this point? I I think so. I mean, if you're a star in the league, the last thing you want to do is go through a rebuild. And considering Portland and how screwed up they are right now. Uh, mm-hmm. Not just on the court, not just on the court, but also in the front office. You're not gonna want. You're not gonna want to deal with a lengthy rebuild, like they're going to be going through. Uh, so, speaking of the San Antonio Spurs, we should talk about the deal that sent. Uh, Derek White to the Boston Celtics in exchange for Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, and a protected first-round pick. Uh, basically, the protection is is only from uh, picks one through four. So basically, it what it means is you are going to get a first-round pick next year, or this year. I mean, right. you're going to get Boston's first-round pick this year uh, in the deal. And on paper, it appears to be a steal, assuming that the first-round pick doesn't turn out to be a superstar 
Uh, it appears to be a steal for the Celtics uh, as it gives them basically a two-headed monster uh, in Marcus Smart and Derek White here, considering a lot of people were comparing Derek White to basically being uh, a second Marcus Smart in that uh, mm-hmm. he puts up the points, but at the same time, he's also a very defensive monster, basically, who right. who gives teams, uh, teams' stars quite a hard time. Uh, whenever he's out there on the court. And we actually saw this happen uh, last night with uh, the Nuggets and uh, how they basically how they basically fell apart, uh, thanks in part to Derek White's 15 points off of the bench. And not to mention his dynamic passing uh that he uh that he showcased last night uh but i mean you know i i saw a lot of people saying that they don't see how the Celtics get better here i mean Josh Richardson he averaged like 9 points per game Romeo Langford you know he wasn't really I mean, he has potential, but the problem is he just hasn't found the right system to be put into. And there is the possibility. I, I mean, I know I'm, I, I know I'm really, uh, you know, stretching here when it comes to this comparison. Mm-hmm. But I've read that there's a possibility that Popovich could potentially turn Romeo Langford into the next Kawhi Leonard, possibly. Because they mm-hmm. do have similar styles of gameplay, um, but how big of a loss is this for the Spurs to to lose a player like Derek White? Who, I mean, technically he was buried in the depth chart behind uh, Dejounte Murray. I mean, obviously nobody's going to take Murray's starting spot, um, right? But, I mean, White was averaging 14.4 points and 5.6 assists off of the bench for San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And he had just signed uh, – he had just signed a four-year deal worth about – I think it was like 75 to $80 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, how big of a loss is this for San Antonio? It, it's a really big loss. We keep saying about some teams being in rebuild mode. I feel like San Antonio is still trying to be in that rebuild mode. We have not done really anything lately. Yeah, and I mean, looking at where you guys are right now, you're 22 and 35. Uh, you're, you're two spots, you're two spots out of the play-in tournament. I mean, technically the play-in tournament still is in reach, believe it or not. You're, you're about one game out of the play-in tournament. So the play-in tournament is still technically in reach, but it's, 
it just doesn't look likely that San Antonio is going to really do much. And no. I mean, Richardson will provide kind of a bit of a pop off of the bench. I mean, he's not going to provide, you know, he's had a couple of 20 point games this year, but uh, he's also, while he's had a couple of 20 point games, he's also had some very poor games where he, he was held completely off of the stat sheet. Right. So, you know, it's, I honestly think it's a very questionable trade by San Antonio. I'm kind of wondering if maybe it's partially a salary dump. I mean, right. yeah, they're going to be paying, they're going to be paying Richardson 12 mil for the next, uh, for, for the rest of this year and also next year, because uh, Richardson does have one year remaining on his deal, uh, thanks to the extension that he signed uh, with the Celtics this off season after they acquired him, that is. Uh, Romeo Langford, you know, like I said, there's untapped potential to where he was starting to, when he was finally getting a chance to play, he was putting together some pretty good games, but his problem has basically been that he just hasn't had any playing time, if anything. Right. And the first round pick, I mean, obviously it's fairly obvious that, that it's going to convert. So, uh, or that it's going to convey over to this year. So, uh, San Antonio will have the first round pick this year. But, uh, I mean, it, I think this instantly improves Boston's offense, uh, Boston's offense as well as their defense. I mean, their defense has been pretty good in recent games, but I mean, just taking a, just taking a look at what they've done at what they did last night, getting, being able to, to come back and, uh, and beat the, uh, Denver Nuggets like they did. Thanks to the quick release of uh, of Derek White uh, with his shot release, I mean he provided an immediate impact from Boston or for Boston. He's been basically uh, that legitimate threat off of the bench that they've been looking for. But it is consider it is considered a tough loss for a San Antonio team. But in the process, they do get a young player. They do get a first round pick in the deal. So you know maybe Romeo Langford does pan out. Maybe he doesn't. But it kind of makes me think that maybe perhaps San Antonio was kind of kind of regretting. Uh, committing all that money to Derek White. Right. Uh, then we haven't even talked about this deal yet. James Harden was traded from the Brooklyn Nets to the Philadelphia 76ers along, along with Paul Millsap for Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond and two first round picks. And Harden had reportedly been pushing for this trade behind the scenes for quite a bit of time. 
uh, obviously one of the NBA's worst kept secrets uh, over the past couple of weeks. Brooklyn had no desire to trade him initially, but they reconsidered when they realized that he was going to bolt during the summer anyways. Uh, Now his hamstring is magically healthy again, kind of like how Ben Simmons magically made the trip uh, immediately for Brooklyn this uh, for this road trip. And actually, let me ch- let me check and see if he played tonight. Uh, ben Ben Ben, where are you? No, he did not play tonight. So, uh, actually, I don't think any of their I don't think any of the guys they acquired played tonight. No. None of the guys that Brooklyn acquired. Okay, so they must have. Uh, they must still be going through their physicals, I guess. But you know, uh, this, in my opinion, uh, could be the potential death blow to Brooklyn, and as well as the fact that it now does. It also makes. Philadelphia, uh, you know, a huge threat at this point in the Eastern <laughs> Conference. Combining James Harden and Joel Embiid, I mean, granted Harden isn't playing at the, uh, you know, the the superstar level that he once played at uh, anymore. Right. But he's been basically he's been the shooter that Philadelphia has been missing all these years. And I mean Curry, you know, Curry, he was a top 100 guy for the Sixers, uh a top 100 guy in the NBA, I mean. Uh in 34.8 minutes per game for the Sixers. But now that he's with the Nets, you're probably looking at a top 150 guy, which could could spell bad things for the for the Nets, I guess. But I mean, they've already they lost their 11th straight game tonight, so uh, I guess this was just a matter of Brooklyn trying to get something for Harden instead of getting nothing for him when he bolts in the off season. I, what, right. what are your thought? What are your thoughts on this, Alexis? I mean, it it's kind of surprising considering that they had just given up so much for him uh, when they acquired him from Houston, and right. now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, this uh, this marriage between him and Brooklyn didn't even last a full year. Yeah. It definitely seems like they they dumped him before he said, "You, I'm out." I'll tell you one thing: the Philadelphia strip clubs are going to be having quite a uh, quite a time though, with uh, oh yeah, with James with James Harden officially in town. Uh, they're going to be they're going to be seeing a lot of business uh, from him. That's for sure. I mean, all all they have to do is. Uh, get in touch with the uh with the clubs from uh from Houston to learn that. 
But yeah, uh, you know, with the with the 76ers currently I think they're in the top 3, I believe, in the Eastern. No, actually no, they're in the top 5, but this is the the necessary upgrade that they need in order to be considered a legitimate contender uh for the to represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals this year. Uh, Kristaps Porzingis was surprisingly traded uh, from the Dallas Mavericks uh, to the Washington Wizards in exchange for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans uh, in a deal that basically Porzingis now exits Dallas after two and a half seasons that were marred by persistent health issues that he's had, uh, as well as uh, defensive failings, uh, which basically eroded his trade value uh, that used to be skyrocketing around the league. But uh, he is currently recovering from a bone bruise in his right knee. Uh, there's optimism, however, that he will be returning soon. Uh, looks like Dinwiddie will probably fit off of the off of the bench uh, for the Mavericks and Bertans as well. This, to me, it just it kind of makes me wonder what's going to happen with Bradley Beal in the off season because. Bradley Beal is already done for the year after he had surgery. And the thing is, Spencer Dinwiddie, he originally signed with Washington because he was going to play with Bradley Beal for the long term. So the fact that he is no longer a member of the Washington Wizards, it kind of makes you wonder if Washington is preparing to move on from Bradley Beal in the off season. And obviously they bring in Porzingis, you know, assuming he can, he can stay healthy. That would be basically their next, their next star to potentially build to, to try and build around. Uh, also, the Boston Celtics, they traded Dennis Schroeder to the Houston Rockets in exchange for a package that includes Daniel Tice. Uh, the deal in particular sees Dennis Schroeder, uh, Ennis Cantor Freedom, along with uh, Bruno Fernando, and I think it's a second-round pick or something, uh, being shipped over to Houston for Daniel Tice, uh, Schroeder. I mean, I don't, I don't blame the Celtics for, for uh, not getting the necessary value for Schroeder because he's not going to, he's not going to re-sign this off season with Boston because he'd be asking for too much money, and I don't think Boston would would be the team to pay him. Uh, so. It made sense considering their needs, their need for a big man, as, as much big man depth as they can possibly get. It made sense 
for them to bring back Daniel Tice, a guy who who Brad uh, Brad Stevens originally wanted to keep, but Danny Ainge said no, we're not going to pay him that amount of money. Uh, let's see some other little bits here. Uh, Thaddeus Young, he had been traded to the Raptors in a deal that sent Goran Dragic to San Antonio, and San Antonio supposedly is going to be Mm -hmm. buying out Goran Dragic as a result, which I guess kind of makes sense because Dragic would have been behind uh, Murray in this case. Mm Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes sense for them to move on from him uh, and buy him out here. Right. Uh, let's see. Was there anything else? Oh, uh, the Spurs also sent a second-round pick this year to the Raptors in exchange for uh, in exchange for Goran Dragic. Oh, they did also get a first-round pick as well as part of this deal. So, mm-hmm. so it is actually it is actually a uh, so San Antonio they'll have three picks in the first round here, right? Yeah, for this year, three picks that could conceivably be in the top twenty. So that is something, you know, that is something to look forward to if you're uh if you're if you're a fan of, if for any San Antonio Spurs fans. That is something to to potentially uh look forward to. Uh also we had uh Montrez Harrell uh be traded to the Charlotte Hornets in exchange for Vernon Carey and Ish Smith. Uh this is this was basically just part of Washington's uh, fire sale that they're that they're seemingly going through right now. Although they did, you know, as part of that fire sale, they did get Kristaps Porzingis. But uh, this was basically an upgrade at the center position for uh, the Charlotte Hornets here, as they look to try and stay in the play-in tournament in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Elsewhere, Jalen Smith, he was traded to the Indiana Pacers from the Phoenix Suns in exchange for Torrey Craig. Uh, This provides Phoenix with some veteran depth with Craig being able to three both, being able to play both the three and four positions uh, as for Smith, he basically just provides upside for a rebuilding Indiana Pacers squad. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, Bradley Beal, uh, his injury or his surgery uh, was to his left wrist, so he is out the uh, remainder of the season. And it looks like now Contavious Caldwell-Pope is probably going to be the big winner of this because with Spencer Dinwiddie gone, uh, Caldwell-Pope now becomes basically the, uh, the, the focal point of that offense 
at least until uh, until Kristaps Porzingis returns. And also a uh, minor trade here, but P.J. Dozier, uh, as well as Bold Bowl, Bowl uh, they were both traded to the Orlando Magic by the Boston Celtics in exchange for a second-round pick. Has Doesn't really have any uh, any impact this season. It's more of a future sort of thing, but it did get Boston underneath the salary cap. So that's kind of good news for a team that's uh especially with the salary cap uh being 12 uh or not not the salary cap but the uh competitive balance or whatever being 12 mil uh because Boston got underneath it they will basically get an extra 12 million dollars uh to be able to spend in free agency so that's something for uh, teams to potentially uh, look towards. Uh, one other bit of news before uh, we uh, kind of uh, call it for the night because uh, I just saw that Alexis got disconnected. Uh, but thank you, thank you, Alexis, for uh, for joining me tonight. Um, One uh, bit of information here coming out of the NHL. Uh, Tuka Rask, he has uh, officially announced his uh, retirement from the NHL uh, after spending hell, I believe, you know, I don't know how many seasons uh, he was in the NHL, but uh, 34 years old, he tried to make a uh, return, uh, a comeback following hip surgery in the off season. He tried to make a comeback this year, only played in four games with Boston. Uh, he played his entire career with the Boston Bruins uh, with 308 wins in 564 games. He also posted 52 shutouts along with a 2.28 goals against average and a 92.1 save percentage uh, throughout his career. Uh, He stated as part of a statement that he sent out, he said, over these last few weeks, I've realized that my body is not responding the way it needs for me to play at such uh, at the level I expect of myself that my teammates and, and Bruins fans deserve. Therefore, it is with a heavy heart that I announce my retirement from the game of hockey. So, uh, easily, probably one of the best Bruins goaltenders, if not the best Bruins goaltender statistic-wise in uh, Bruins history. Uh, Tuca, if he isn't going to the NHL Hall of Fame potentially, uh, he will definitely be a member of the Bruins he definitely will be one of one of the top uh, Bruins to have played the game, and maybe perhaps he might have his number potentially retired by the organization. Uh, for the Flyers, though, Sean Couturier, he will miss the remainder of the 2021-2022 season following successful back surgery 
as he hasn't played since December 18th due to what was initially described as an upper body injury. He is expected to recover in three months, so he should have a normal offseason leading to a return next year. Uh, He will conclude this season with six goals and 17 points, along with 79 shots and 22 hits in 29 games for the Philadelphia Flyers. So, uh, with that being said, until next week, uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. Uh, thank you to Alexis for joining me. Uh, hopefully, Lou will be back next week. A reminder for any Big Brother fans, uh, we will have the Celebrity Big Brother 3 recap podcast hosted by myself and Melissa uh, this upcoming Thursday night as we will recap uh, the eviction of Chris Kirkpatrick as well as whoever may leave the game this upcoming Monday. Uh, also, a note with obviously Survivor is about a month away. Uh, we will have more information on a potential Survivor recap podcast uh, when we get that information. But until then, thank you everybody for joining me uh, this Saturday night, uh, whether it was live or on the archives. Uh, hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend, and we will see you guys next Saturday night.